For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L.'s Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, excited to talk to an inventor, a real-life inventor, not one of those infomercial inventors. This is a, a creative guy who just creates products from scratch. And uh, maybe he stumbled on something that he created, but uh, but he started, it was in his head, he had a thought, he had a design. He cycled around, found something intelligent, and uh, and made it. And that's uh, the, start, the start and the story of Oopsmark. Jesse Herbert from Oopsmark will join us in a little bit. We'll talk social media and measuring social media success later in the program with Natalie Riviere of Cometa. Uh, but first, some entrepreneurial news and our entrepreneur question of the week where I try to uh, use uh, the advice from you. And so the question... Keep, keep going, Dan. <laughs> the question, I haven't sent you a bill yet. It's okay. Uh, it's, that's all right. The question from, from my team this week is, um, how, you know you can do a better job than your competitor. How can you lure some of their customers away without being too aggressive or otherwise unethical? How do you balance confidence and ambition as an entrepreneur with the need to be diplomatic within your industry? I think it really depends on, A, the industry that you're in, uh, B, I always, it's also about your value proposition. What are you bringing to the table? Are you, how are you differentiating yourself from your competition? Because of the style and what you bring to the, you know, how you bring it to the table, if you can't bring something better or more convenient or more efficient, more effective, more cost of it, whatever it might be, if you can't be something, and it almost doesn't matter what style you use to go out and get them, whether you're aggressive or passive, soft sell, hard sell, find that difference. Once you find that difference, That'll help ease the way to find how you open that door to get to that body and get to that person, next customer. But until you find that difference, you're basically saying, I can do exactly what they can do. I can do it better. I'm a nicer guy or, a, you know, or a, we, we, you know, we wear kid gloves or whatever it has you, whatever have you. But if you don't have that differentiation, then why are they going to look at you? We keep talking about retail stores and, you know, giving the consumer a reason why to go in. Hmm. You got to give them a reason why to listen to you and why... Again, whether you're aggressive or not, isn't the why. It's what can you provide? What can you give? What's the what's different? Maybe you're going to provide the same service, but you'll educate them better. You know, there's many uh, service providers out there that basically take control, and they don't really care that the that the customer either understands or whatever. They just go do. They plow right through everything. I would say that maybe some customers want to be a little bit more involved, want to understand how it goes. I mean, it, it again, it depends on your industry, but if you educate them. If you involve them a little more, maybe that's your differentiating factor. It really depends on what you do, where you go, how, what, what type. Um, and and then, there's, then there's a different customers. I mean, you've, you've encountered all types of customers over the years, so have I, and some respond a lot better to the soft touch, and some don't understand anything under 30 decibels. When you, so it's almost as if you have to yell it for them to get it. It, it, it's, it really does depend. But if you don't bring that differentiating factor that's that supposed that value that different value proposition then i'm not sure what you can do to really get beyond the door of course then you can be like the politicians and just badmouth everybody and <laughs> see if you can get in that way but i don't know if that's necessarily the best way to go so even if it's just a not a not even a product but a feature of a product just find that one thing that that's makes the different find something and and it and it could be the product it could be the service it could be your your technique 
Uh, you know, everybody charges by the hour, but you charge on a retainer. You, you're a fixed fee. You don't have a blank check. You know, I decide, you know, it's going to be $300 a month. I don't care what it is. Use this, abuse this, and sign up for a little while versus some that say, well, no, it's $50 for that and $300 for that and $2,000 for that. And and then it's by the hour for that. It, it could be any aspect of the product or service you have, just what makes it different, what's better, and how is it easier and better to deal with you versus your competition. It, and uh, these entrepreneurial questions are coming from uh, from myself or my team. But if you have one, just tweet at me, at Dan Delmar. And if you are an entrepreneur looking for advice, uh, we'll get your questions uh, as the weeks go on. Some entrepreneurial news now, Josh. Uh, this headline is very interesting to me. The job interview will soon be dead. Explain. So, you know, basically, here's the thing. Everybody lies in a job interview in some way, shape, or form. Hmm. Maybe it's 10% of the interview is a lie. Maybe it's 90% of the interview is a lie. But it's easy. Talk is easy. Talk is cheap. We've all heard that. So don't let them talk. Don't feed them the information. Don't let them just talk their way into it. Test them. Find a way to test your interviewees, your candidates. Whether it's manufacturing, whether it's service, whatever, find something that they're going to do. Go through their job description, what they're supposed to do. Find some aspect in there and say, hey, here, I want you to do this. I want you to uh, take, take you know, you, here's a product. We'll, we'll talk about your industry and, and promotions and editing. And here's a product that we have. What would be your idea? Give me, give me bounce ideas off yeah. of me in this way. Or what social media would you use? Mm-hmm. Uh, in my industry, maybe it's a, here's, here's some numbers. Create a spreadsheet that's going to explain this to the client. To test it, let them prove to you that they have the goods to actually do the job versus blowing a lot of hot air because it's easy. Some people are really talking. I mean, Dan, we, <laughs> you know, I won't say you talk for a living, but, uh, <laughs> well, everyone's a marketer these days. Right. And that, that's, that's great advice because, you know, you want to, I guess, get a sense of what the employee or potential employee can do on a practical day to day level. And then it depends on the environment. Maybe you'll have three people in a room doing the same test side by side. Mm. You know, you create that, that kind of a uh, little bit of uh, exciting competition. Again, it always depends on the industry, on the sector, on people to actually test. But I would say the interview, it's it's good to have a part of it and it's great to, you know, get that information. But if you don't test, how you're really going to... It's an interesting story why holding on to equity can be more strategic than raising startup investment. So for businesses just getting off the ground, um, why you may not want to uh, look out for that uh, that big angel investor and just uh, tough it out yourself. This is a, a this is a bit of a tough one because if you need money and you don't have any access to it, well, then you're going to give up something. But if you have the ability to bootstrap to the nth degree, think about your product or service and take it a little lower, but maintain control. I just don't mean maintain control of the company. Help maintain control of how and when and why and where you want to work. Because once you bring in other partners, outside investors, shareholders, what have you, you're starting to report to other people. They don't like what you're doing, and they're the the big breadwinner bringing in bringing in the money they're going to start dictating how you should operate should work and where you should work etc cetera, etc cetera. So there is no question it's 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 not an easy answer what's a product or service a bit of a theme tonight with the, the, the it depends but there's no question that if if you can maintain everything on your end entrepreneurs like to be in control of their own death losing control because somebody has bigger pockets and basically a, a little bit more clout not always, not not always easy for that entrepreneur. Uh, email etiquette: uh, twenty-five tips for protecting your email etiquette is the uh, the name of the com. Uh, this is an interesting one, and I I come back to this this tweet that I remember 
uh, went super viral. Uh, something about uh, a friend of mine did it. Uh, adulthood being this this sequence of emailing each other back and forth, going sorry about the delay. You know, yes. it's, well, we're uh, Canadian. We always say yeah, sorry, exactly. right? Two minutes, twenty minutes, two days. We always say sorry. So, what is email etiquette these days, and and how can you sort of get a handle on it and not offend people? I feel like I offend offend someone every week in email form somehow. You have to know who your audience is. You know, I would say it always has to. You know, if you know your audience, then you know how to write to them. But if you don't know your audience, which is in many cases ever do or not do, um, I would say first of all, don't email angry. You know, if, if somebody sent you something and, and it either ticked you off or, or you just don't really know, you don't necessarily don't don't jump to the conclusions and write back right away because that that could just, you know, turn out really, really poor. Respond in a timely fashion. It doesn't mean you have to respond to everything in three minutes. But I think you should respond to everything within 24 to 48 hours. And if you can't respond to something within that short, just acknowledge it. At least say, I got your email. I'm... You know, do ECD over the next few days. I will get to you next week or a reasonable time frame that they can get to it. I think acknowledgement, a fast acknowledgement without actually doing something is just as good as, um, I would say, be very clear in your subject line. People have so many emails coming in, they usually follow and categorize by their subject line. It's clean, make sure it's, it's, it's neat. And then they can, so many, there's so many areas we can go on for many times. Maybe we'll pick this up in another week or two and we'll just keep adding to it. I want to read out that that quote from, this is a tweet from Marissa Miller that wrote 25,000 shares. Adulthood is emailing, sorry for the de delayed response back and forth until one of you dies. So that's, that's essentially the state of modern email. Um, and real quick on, on that note, uh, do you have to say, you know, thank you, regards? I mean, do you use the formal, sort of a formal lettering format when emailing or just, just for, just do it? If you don't know the person, you can't go wrong. It okay. can't hurt. It can only help. If you really know them, and Dan, you and I are going back and forth, this is our sixth exchange, I think we can do away with the regards. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. And coming up, we'll uh, talk to inventor Jesse Herbert of Oopsmark. That is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. And uh, Josh, tonight on the show, um, I, I love chatting with entrepreneurs who I've, I've chatted with before, just organically in, in, on radio. And uh, there have been times when I saw uh, Jesse's work and went, oh, wow, that's really cool. I've got to have him, have him on the radio. So Jesse Herbert of Oopsmark joins us this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. Welcome back to CJD, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Uh, first, uh, simple question. What is Oopsmark? Tell us about what you do for a living. Uh, at Oopsmark, I guess we design unique things that don't exist anywhere else, and we sell them. Do you call yourself an inventor? Uh, sometimes, yeah. I'm a designer, I guess, really. Uh, for me, it's really about solving a problem. So if I find a problem in my, my life that needs solving that I don't find a good solution for, then that inspires me to make stuff. Now, where did this start? Like, how long ago did Oopsmark start? Uh, I guess Oopsmark technically started about six years ago, but I took a break from my engineering career to work as an artisan for a couple of years. And that's when I really into making stuff again. So what was the inspiration? Like, wh where did Oopsmark come out from? Why did you, an engineer, I guess today you're still inventing things, but what was before was that transition from I'm engineer, I'm working in some big conglomerate to I can't do this anymore? I think I just decided to take a break one time. One day I said, you know what? I could just take six months off. I don't need to make any money. I'll just focus on making stuff. And... I just started making things, and then I ended up selling things. 
Uh, I started in Montreal and I went to Venice Beach for a while and was having so much fun that I ended up selling about two years in markets and music festivals, just making stuff. And then at a certain point, I just sort of realized, well, this is fun, but I'm not going to get up at eight in the morning every day and good long days. So were you working with a lot of different materials at the time? I was mostly working with a vegetable tanned leather, a natural vegetable tanned leather that's undyed. And so we and dye them and assemble them. I mean, you've had some interesting products over the years. What was, what was the first one? Yeah, I guess the first one was the bicycle wine rack. Um, I was just taking a break from a project and someone asked me to make something for a bike that carried beer. And I thought that might, when you open the beer, but it might be perfect for wine. So I, I made that and threw it online. An email to Design Sponge. It's a blog in the UK, I believe. And then they released it and it just sort of went viral. So I was already working up to, you know, learning how to make websites and digital strategies and all this stuff, deciding, you know, when you're doing this, I probably have to go online so I can find my niche clients wherever they are. And I actually sort of in place, made this product, and it just took off. So I just rode the- With Jesse Herbert of Oopsmark, how he comes up with the ideas and how he markets them next on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. This evening on the show, we're chatting with inventor and engineer Jesse Herbert of Oopsmark. Jesse, what does Oopsmark mean? Uh, well, an Oopsmark is a happy mistake. You know, when you're doing something and it doesn't turn out the way you think, if you roll with it, it can often turn out better than what you were thinking in the first place. You, you said that your food, first oops mark, I guess, was this bicycle wine rack. Was it difficult? I mean, you saw it. Was it difficult to build? Like, did you have how many versions did you end up going through? Uh, the initial concept was not particularly difficult. Um, so it was easy to take a picture of the prototype and put it online. But very quickly, I'd sold a whole bunch of them and hadn't even used it that much. So I very quickly had to redesign it to fit more sizes of bikes and be more durable so you know the whole process lasted uh, months but the initial concept was a couple of days of your engineering background do you find that it's a constant improvement of the processes and the product and the uh, is that something that is is really forefront and um yeah i wouldn't say it's constant it's this process of you know identifying what the process or the the project is double spots and focusing on those specifically do, do your does your team get involved? I mean, do they help contribute to improving the process? Yeah, we definitely try and make it part of the spirit of what we do. So even people are helping with assembly. We let them know like these are the strategies. We measure all of our batches when people are uh, producing things and assembling, and through that process, people get to contribute better ways to do. Things. Looking for these people, do you look for kind of a contributory quality? Do they is it more skill set or is it more? the right attitude so they can help make everything go along really smoothly. Yeah, I guess it depends what we're looking for. Like um, I have an assistant who's in charge of production, Zach, and he will supervise assemblers. So a lot of times people will come in for assembly and sometimes they're computer programmers who are just a friend who's like, hey, can I come to assembly? And sometimes they're an artist looking for uh, some side work and we'll, um, we'll, we'll find their roles from there. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 
Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. And our guest this evening is inventor, designer, engineer Jesse Herbert of Oopsmark, uh, maker of, uh, among other products, the Bicycle Wine Rack. Uh, let's just talk real quick, uh, finishing up about the, the wine rack. Uh, is this one of these ideas that sort of um, you were inspired by because of your environment? It seems like a uniquely Montreal product. I feel like a lot of people would need a bike rack uh, that, that carries their wine when they you know, go out on a Friday night. Yeah, a lot of people came from a friend of mine, Mark, who actually lives in Ottawa. It was his sort of seed. But at the time, I'd sold my car and my motorcycle, was trying to live on a bicycle and live that lifestyle. And it made a whole bunch of sense to me. So I just jumped right on it. Now you're you have you know your your team that kind of is on the call it shop floor and and building all this. Does it change often? You've been around for as you you know you said about seven years or something like that. Does you do you change your team often? Do you keep that inspiration level up that way? Uh, yeah, my ch- my team has changed often. Um, you know, learning to be a boss is a little bit of a learning curve. Um, there's that, and also you know with our assembly we try and. We end up bringing people through, which helps keeps it social. You know, we have a pretty small team, but it's great to have people through just for a day who are two and, you know, keeps it fresh. Just for a day? Some people just come in for the day? Some people for a day. Like I'm thinking uh, one of my friends is, is a, can I come and help out for a day? I guess it's not that complicated a process, right? Well, the assembly part is not. And so we try to take advantage of that. And we're like, well, why don't we just have random that way they don't get burned out? And, uh, we regardless get, of the potential inefficiency, cause it's not the same person doing the same job all the time. It, it makes up for it. Yeah. And if somebody is terrible at it, you know, maybe they wouldn't come back, but it's all about having fun too, enjoying your work. Well, you, you mentioned Zach before there's, there are some people that have been with you a lot longer. They contribute, you have more discussion. I mean, you're fairly informal in your process, right? In your, in your style, in your management. Um, yeah, I mean, informal in some ways, like Zach's been with me for quite a while and, um, you know, with him, we spend a lot of time in investing in the process and, and a lot of what we do is very detailed and really part of it. We try and make just fun. Are you nine to five? Absolutely not. <laughs> then what works for you? What, then what, what are you, what do you do and why does that work for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess it just kind of depends on what's happening. Uh, sometimes I'm in a different country working from my laptop and sometimes it's 12 hours a day. And sometimes it's three days a week. It depends what you're working on, what the inspirations level is, and uh, whether you need a break from work or you need, whether you need to dig in. Now, let, let's jump gears a little bit because, you know, it's it's a unique product. It, it's out there. We kind of started to talk about the marketing and how you, how you got it out there, but let's kind of delve into that now. You have this product that you fell upon, your oops mark. How do you get it out there? What's the first thing you do to let people know that this is available for purchase? Yeah, I guess every product is a little bit different. And so you sort of have to understand that product and like, how am I going to get that out? Um, and a lot of the time you just have to produce some content, it might be a video or a blog. It's really telling the story of what that product solved because everything that we make um, doesn't exist anywhere else and solves a problem. So we sort of produce that content and then we start thinking about who to get it out to. And it's a little bit different for every product. And we sell different products to different people. So a lot of time that process has to do with contacting some blogs that might be interested. Sometimes it has to do with making a fun video. Um, social media. Do you use social media <clears throat> to to a good degree? Yeah, I would say that's been part of the game. I mean, the Oops Mark was born, or the Bicycle Wine Rack was born on Twitter, really. You know, there was 3,000 tweets the first day. So from that point, 
forward of is just learning about social media and how to get stuff out. So social media is a big part of our strategy. We're, we were on Facebook uh, initially, and we still are. But back when uh, Facebook had organic reach, people would talk more about things that they liked. And now that it's a paid advertising stream, it's not as effective uh, for those type of products. So you moved a little bit away from the Facebook for that reason? Yeah, we've been using more Instagram. Excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, we use more Instagram uh, for a bunch of reasons. Um, more fun to produce content. You don't have to pay to get your content out there. And it's kind of at a sweet spot right now. Now, you're doing a lot of blogging as well. You you know kind of share your experiences. How does that work? Is that you find you get a lot more followers that way? Um, yeah, the blogging is a way to educate people about really the lifestyle behind coming up with these ideas and things we explore to come up with new products. So the blogs aren't really about products all the time, but sometimes it's about learning something new related to the cycling lifestyle or, you know, tools for urban living. Do you measure it? Do you measure any of the, of the online efforts that you do? Yeah, we definitely measure them. It's really hard to measure stuff and, um, but my, you can measure engagement up front, but really for me, the best metrics are at the end of a year after something's been out for a year to take a look. Sometimes certain things will take off right off the bat, whether it's a product or a blog post, and that's a certain type of feedback, but other things won't do very well in the beginning. And it might be eight months later, it'll just take off or it might be a slow watching it. Yeah, definitely watching it. Now, what about offline? Have you done other marketing efforts offline? You know, you're, you're basically you're, you're, it's a cycling product. So yeah, we do uh, all kinds of fun things. Sometimes if you're going to a conference, uh, I might just stick a wine bottle on my bike and lock it outside and let 5,000 people walk by <laughs> uh, tons of different things like that to just kind of fit into the lifestyle aren't too hard to do and make sense. Now as a, as an engineer, I'm, I'm I kind of had this question in my head, but I'm going off marketing for a little bit you've improved the processes over time. You know, you were very, it was very labor intensive. I understand earlier at some point, did you, did you enter a machine into the process? Did you kind of try and help improve the, the manufacturing side of it? Yeah, we definitely have, um, you know, through evaluating that whole process and sort of identifying what takes the most time, you know, cutting a piece takes the most time. So we use a clicker it's called, it's a 15 ton press that will push a cookie cutter through the leather. And that saves us from getting carpal tunnel syndrome and everything. Um, so everything with knives, essentially, we cut everything with knives up to a certain amount of sales. And then we'll get a tool and die maker to make a specific cutting tool that we'll use to cut the pieces out. And we do the rest of the assembly by hand, but it's really, you know, handmade stuff. Excellent. Now, coming back to marketing, I just had to get that question out of my head. I just was <laughs> curious. But you sell online. Your your sell on on where on Etsy on Amazon yeah we sell on Amazon.ca.com mostly from our website Oopsmark.ca we have a uh, site sell on Etsy is there one that you prefer better than the other is there one that really doesn't work for you as well after your experiences I'm really happy with Shopify I was on WordPress before and I feel like Shopify is very I'm very happy with with Etsy because it's such an exploratory market. I don't put a lot of energy into optimizing it or advertising it and people explore and find my products and buy them. So I can't really hope for anything more. But the Amazon, how does that, uh, how, what's your, what's been your experience, good or bad there? Uh, my experience with Amazon is that it's terribly complicated. 
It took me an extremely long time to even get things on there. Each product has different categories and subcategories. And for a guy like me who's pretty, pretty technically minded, I found it extremely difficult to use. I think we're going to stay on that topic of social media and marketing. And uh, when we come back from the break, Dan, we'll do a lot more about that. Let's, uh, we'll chat with Natalie Rivera of Cometa on uh, social media channels and how to measure their success. That is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you for Today's Entrepreneur. And we'll have Jesse Herbert's one piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur before the program is up. But first, Natalie Riviere joins us from Cometa uh, again on uh, social media and how to measure effective social media. Welcome back, Natalie. Thank you so much. So let's start Let's start there. I mean, you have all this data, right? So first, maybe could you tell us about some of the data that, that companies like yours collect on a regular basis on social media? For sure. Uh, there is lots. And we generally work with anything that speaks to inbound marketing. So what's driving people inward towards your marketing tools, your marketing tools being your website. And so for that, there's Google Analytics that are free that you can plug in. Um, your other marketing tool of value would be your email list. And so ideally, you're sending newsletters and that will come with metrics. Um, beyond that, then uh, you have the social media channels and every single one has a different set of analytics that they either give you or they don't. Uh, there's third parties that are making tools that can reveal what they're not giving you sometimes <laughs> for those that don't. How often do you find people measure and is it often enough? Like what, is there an ideal measurement time frame? Uh, we do it quarterly and, and that's very complimentary for a lot of uh, businesses depending on their size. If you do have a lot of influence, if you have a very strong online reputation and a lot of people are involved in your brand, uh, you might want to do it monthly. If you're in a launch period, uh, you might want to do it weekly, bi-weekly, depending on what what's going on in your business. But as an average, quarterly is a nice uh, time to check in. Yeah, where you can measure by campaign if you're just doing exactly. something very specific. Mm -hmm. Now, what exactly, what's the, the, I guess, some of the items that you look at first when you're measuring? That's a great question because there is so much uh, available. But what is meaningful? We look at uh, right away the keywords. So what are people actually searching for? What words are they interested? That often can lead to maybe new product ideas um, that you had never thought of based on what the demand is there for. We look at referral websites. So who's bringing you traffic? And that way you can actually tell if Facebook is the best place for you or is it Pinterest or is it uh, Instagram is actually tough to drive traffic usually. They're the least friendly when it comes to that kind of a, a space on their own. But a lot of people are now selling right off of Instagram. And so it really depends, but you'll know uh, if you look. Now, uh, Jesse mentioned earlier about how Facebook is less organic today and and maybe people are just buying. And like, you know, maybe you can speak to that. Is, is that something that people maybe should stay away from or should they just use it differently? Yeah, big time marketplace. It is a advertising machine at this point. And um, definitely you, you need to change the way you use it if you're looking to stay uh, relevant there. Um, so as a personal user, it's a different story. Uh, the algorithms are different. But if you're a company with a professional page and you're not paying, then you're not one of their customers and you're really not on the priority list. Uh, you can get organic uh, visibility through the way you post if you're interacting with other people on there by tagging them or sharing their content. 
that'll guarantee a few likes or a few uh, visits or, just, or let's say views on what you're doing. Um, but a few dollars can can bring a lot of visibility. Again, my big focus would be on why are you doing it? Is it actually raising value for you and not just playing the Facebook game? And what does it like mean exactly? If you like something, sure, you know, you, you see that you're approving of something that's in your face at the moment on Facebook or whatever. But do, you, do we know that that increases the chance of a, of a sales conversion? Uh, sales conversion is a good point. Um, you would only know that, that would be very difficult to track uh, directly. A like is the least favorable way to engage with a Facebook post. Facebook gives the least amount of value to it. A comment is more valuable and a share is the ultimate form of endorsement. Um, but a like will still flag that content to say this content is interesting to the engaged Facebook users. More on measuring social media. Plus, we'll have Jesse's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. That's next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Remaining moments on today's entrepreneur, inventor Jesse Herbert gives us his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a moment. But first, chatting with Natalie Rivière on social media and how to measure its success. And, you know, there's there's so many different social media channels. I mean, you have your your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your Twitter, your Google+, Plus, your Pinterest, your Instagram, and I'm sure I'm missing a few here and there. Google+, Plus, uh, people use that thing? Natalie, <laughs> Natalie, guru of social media, oh what 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 is the benefit? Is, is each one good for everybody? Are there certain maybe sectors or industries where they should where they concentrate more or other? How would you kind of define or break up where a company should be? Okay. Well, if you start with the basics, uh, from a professional standpoint, I recommend social media as a way of getting found in search engines. So because of the way search engines work, um, your social media sites are going to come up at the top of anybody searching you. And so uh, it's a likely or a great way basically to get found easily and quickly. Uh, then you want to use the social media channel at the minimum to convert traffic to your website as soon as they get on there. Um, but which ones to be on, the the incontournables, uh, mm -hmm. the ones that I guess are the base, the pillars, would be Facebook, Twitter 100%, um, LinkedIn, and Google+. And the reason I'll throw that one in there is because everyone mostly uses Google as a search engine, and Google is A, biased to its own tool. So if you're on Google+, uh, not only will that account help you, but literally, uh, whatever you put on that account will show up and take way more real estate on your Google search. There's actually also Google for Business and Google Maps that you control through a Google Plus profile. So at the base, it's really relevant to everyone. But there are some communities on uh, Google, Google Groups, a lot of the tech people, science, and a lot of education are on there. And that's the next conversation in social. It's not just about blasting yourself. It's about connecting to communities. And so where are the conversations happening in and around your specialty? And that's... Uh, research and, will help you with that. And, and that's the trick. <laughs> uh, thanks very much, Nat. Uh, and as we approach the last moment of our show, we'll turn to Jesse and, and ask you, Jesse, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Um, I might say that if you're, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. I think it's uh, very succinct. 
Yes. And it's uh, it's great for our, our foul up nights that's coming up on uh, March 29th at Les Allons at six o'clock. Uh, foul up, f up nights, uh, as we, as we call them. Thanks very much, Jesse. Jesse Herbert from Oops Mark. Thanks so much for stopping by. If you want to uh, check out the foul up nights, March 29th, uh, facebook.com slash fun Montreal for more info on that. Thanks to Natalie Riviera as well. And we're back next Monday night here at seven on CJAD to listen to past episodes. Check out the community section at fmontreal.com and have a good night.